So our series for the month of December is called With Us, A Simple Christmas. And I believe that within each one of us, there's this desire to um, embrace simplicity, to kind of defrag our lives. You know what I mean? Don't you ever just feel like there's too much going on? Don't you ever feel like, wow, life's stressful and busy? Do you ever, is it just me? I feel that way. I think some of you do too. So we want to help you just embrace simplicity. So you see the stage here. Um, all of this was designed by our creative arts team. And then our custodian, actually, Sean, built the trees that you see. And so we kind of made it in-house, bring it back to simple, and see if we can help you guys uh, embrace the simplicity of Jesus for the season. Now, you know I have a granddaughter, and I don't think I've mentioned her in a couple of weeks. So it's time. I need to mention her. So Trilby embraces simplicity. Here she is. And all the toys that I've bought her, like you should see our living room, we just leave them in the middle of the living room all week, and she comes and plays. But this is what she goes to first, right? It's the Tupperware drawer. And so she loves the Tupperware. She'll go there first, pull it open, and all the toys she has, but she loves it simple. And then she loves to just lay on the cat. I mean, that's the other thing she likes to do. And that's a 14-year-old cat there. And fortunately, the cat is probably too old to care. And so she just lets her get away with it. But keeping it simple, right? And it's like kids just help us to remember that it's the simple things of life that are important and that are good, right? Um, Black Friday. Now, this is just my choice. So no judgment if you were at, you know, the mall or Costco or whatever. That's fine. I just can't do it. I would freak. And so this is what I did on Black Friday. I went up to the North Fork of the Nooksack and stood there for five hours in the freezing cold, my, like I couldn't feel my fingers, and, but stood there and casted a lure which never caught a fish, but it didn't matter because it was beautiful. There were eagles everywhere. It was just gorgeous, and we had a wonderful time up there. And so that's what I do. I like to defrag. I like to get away from the busyness. I like to get out in the beauty of God's nature, and I love to just release the stress of life and let him fill me. And I came home feeling really filled that day. And then I went to a family Christmas party (laughs) that night. So, you know, got stressed again. But, no, it was great. It was great. So even the title of Christmas is misunderstood and is misused in our culture. Christmas, really, starting in the 11th century, means Christ Mass, or the celebration of the body and the blood of Christ, which we're going to do tonight. And if you think about the word Christmas, it's really meant to be all about Christ. That's what it's about. So I understand we have the trappings, but we want to bring it back to Jesus, Emmanuel, that he is with us, a simple Christmas. And Jesus himself said in Matthew 11, and I love this because this is the message, transliteration of the Bible, uh, Matthew 11:28, where Jesus says, get away with me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. I'll show you to walk with me and work with me, and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. So this month, we hope to help you keep it simple with Jesus, and that's number one in your notes today. A simple Christmas is simply God with us. A simple Christmas is simply God with us. You know, the candle that we're celebrating this month for Advent is called the prophecy candle. And so we celebrate the fact that God began telling his people that Jesus was going to come. He was going to be with us hundreds of years before it happened. And so here in Isaiah 7:14, you see kind of a glimpse of this where Isaiah says, All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. 
Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Can you say Emmanuel with me? Emmanuel, which means God is with us. I think for me, if I'm not careful, I can lose Jesus in the busyness of the season. I don't mean lose him from my heart. I just mean lose sight of him and lose really connection with with what Christmas really is. And so it's good for me, and I hope it's good for you to dial back on the busyness. You know, to dial back and spend some time with Jesus, be intentional about going out and being alone with Jesus, because he really simply came to be with us. That's why he came, to be with us. John 1.14. So the Word, and that is Jesus, the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. I want us to think deeply this series about who the Christ of Christmas is and what characterizes his life. So here we see that God became human. God became one of us so that he could relate with us in our humanity, so that he could experience everything that we experience as humans, so that he could know what we need. And tonight I want to make that very personal for you, that no matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, Jesus understands. He does. And I know it can feel like he's not with us, but he is with us. He's in us, and he understands exactly what you're facing and what you're going through. So I want you to be encouraged by that today. He made you, so he understands you. And he wants to enter into our life. And so like we held our hands out tonight, that was why I did that. We want to welcome him into our life. And he wants to do that if we will simply let him be with us. John goes on to say, And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son, John testified about him. Now, now John is talking about John the Baptist here, okay? John the Baptist testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, This is the one I was talking about when I said, Someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. Now, here's a little bit of prophecy that John the Baptist gave. It's kind of like a riddle. Someone's coming after me who is greater than I am because he existed before me. What does that mean? You know, often we don't think about the fact that Jesus existed before he was born as a baby. I don't know what your theology or doctrine is, but it's all through the Bible that Jesus existed as God before he came to us. Now, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. So here's a little Hebrew, uh, Dutch Hebrew bingo for you, okay? Was actually, was actually born before Jesus, but he said Jesus existed before I was born. And so I want you to understand that God's plan has always been to be with us and to bring us back with him to eternity. And that's number two in your notes today, that God promised his timeless presence to time-bound creation. This creation is bound by time because that's how God created it. Remember in the first six days, there was morning and evening. There was the first day, right? And so God created us to be bound by time. And, you know, this first week of Advent, it's called Prophecy Week. And this is the week we think about the fact that God dropped into time-bound creation His timeless revelations, His eternal revelations. 
And I want to talk to you a little bit about that tonight. So, so my perspective of prophecy is that prophecy is God dropping his eternal word into our time-bound hearts. Okay, that's really what prophecy is. Let me ask you this question tonight. Do you ever think about eternity? Do you ever think about that? Does it hurt your head? Like think about time, not time, but think about eternity past and how God has always been. Think about that. Can you really understand that? I can't. It's a mystery, right? But it's God's reality. And that's why we can't understand it is because our minds are bound with time. But really, that is the norm, if you were to ask God. God's norm is eternity. Our norm is time. And so you can't really understand eternity because of our minds. But to God, eternity is the norm. And so God exists outside of time, right? He exists outside of time, but he gives us these tastes of eternity. And he drops them into our time-bound mind, and, and it's called prophecy. And so in Ecclesiastes 3.11, I love this verse. It's so beautiful. You get a little glimpse of, what, uh, of how God created us. It says, God made everything beautiful for its own time, and he has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Like we can't see the whole story. There's so much mystery around God and his nature and who he is and his plan and his timelessness. Like it's, it's cloaked in mystery. But he drops these little truths into our life. And so God transcends time. So God's beyond time. And biblical scholars call this God's omnipresence. You have God's omnipotence, his all-powerfulness. You have his omniscience, his all-knowing. And you have his omnipresence, which really means that eternal God is everywhere at once, in space and in time. So he's everywhere at once. He can be in all places at all times. And from that timelessness, he gives us hints of what has already passed from his eternal perspective. Does that make sense? So it's not like God is telling the future. It's like God is in the future. And he already understands. He's been there. He sees what has happened. It doesn't mean he controls it all, but it it means he knows it all. It's this mystery of foreknowledge. And so he gives us hints of what is yet to come. Spoilers, if you will. Have you ever come to church and you're home recording the game and somebody tells you the score? Or even worse, tells you who's won. Isn't that horrible? Like they spoil it, don't they? It's a spoiler. And God gives us spoilers. That's really what prophecy is. It's God giving us enough of the story so that we long to be at the end. It's like a good book, right? It's like a good book that you read. And it's so good that you long to go to that last couple pages and see how it ends before finishing the book. And a good author will give you what is called foreshadowing, right? They'll foreshadow what happens in the end. They won't give you the whole story, but they'll give you enough to whet your appetite and you want to know. And that's exactly what God has done. God gives us enough foreshadowing or prophecy that we long to see the end. God's really told us the end. He's told us how it ends even, right? So we long to see it it roll out. And we call this prophecy. And prophecy brings us hope. And so Isaiah, one of the great prophets of God, was one of these that foretold 
the fact that God would come and be with us. Isaiah 9.2 says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You know, when this prophecy was given, people lived in deep darkness in that time. The Holy Spirit had not been released upon the earth. He had been given to certain individuals, kings and prophets, but only a very few. And so think about life on our planet without the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, over a billion people that claim to know Christ and have the Holy Spirit in their lives, that makes a a difference on the planet. You know what I'm saying? So the Holy Spirit is alive and active everywhere around the globe. Imagine how dark it was without the presence of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of men and women. It was a dark place. And so Isaiah says there's going to come this great light. And he gets this from a revelation that from God's eternal omnipresent perspective has already happened. And God drops it into Isaiah's heart and Isaiah speaks it out. And he goes on and says in verse 6, For a child is born to us. Not will be, but is. Like Isaiah is speaking it as though it's happened. And that's what prophecy is. And a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Now, this is speaking about Christ. will be called Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and his government and its peace will never end. Here, Isaiah gets this revelation from God that says, The one who will come, the Messiah, will be eternal God. He equates him with Everlasting Father. Now, the cults of our world tell us that Jesus was created or that he you know, came into being sometime later. But biblically, theologically, the Bible teaches us that Christ is part of the Trinity and he has always been. He's eternal. He's eternal like the Father and the Spirit. So God reveals to Isaiah that Jesus is God. He's the everlasting Father. And so here's what we know. Jesus is God with us. Not just a good man. Not just a great teacher, but literally the everlasting, eternal God entering the time and space that he created and submitting himself to his creation as one of his own, becoming a human and entering time and space and restricting himself. Imagine this, having been eternal and now restricting himself as Christ, as the Son of God who comes into the world it's incredible. It's remarkable. And not only to be born as a baby, but to, be, but, but, but to submit to the process of development in the womb of a teenage girl. Listen, when you think about this, it is such a beautiful story of the love of God. Unbelievable, remarkable, and we receive it because it's what the truth is. That God loves us and wants to be with us. And to me, what makes this so remarkable is that Jesus is not just a human, but Jesus is God with us. He is eternal God. He is eternal God. So so let's think about this just for a few minutes tonight. You understand, right, that Christ coming as a baby at Christmas, Christ coming as a baby was not the first time that he set foot on the planet. This was not the first time that Christ was with us. It's just the first time that he submitted himself to becoming human. But before that, Christ was on the planet many times, and the first time we hear the Bible talk about it is at creation. 
that Christ was the one through whom God created everything. Things we can see, things we can't see. Colossians 1 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Would you say that with me? Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Remember that. That is such an important statement. He existed before anything was created, and he is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. So Christ, as the visible image of the invisible God, we see him as creator. Okay, that's where he comes up first in the Bible, as creator. But we also see him many times throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Adam and Eve, right after creation, right? It says that God walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the garden. Well, we know that God is spirit, and so it couldn't have been God the Father. couldn't have been the Holy Spirit, but it was the Christ, the form of the invisible God, the one who relates to humanity through the form that is the representation of God. So here we see Christ in the garden relating with Adam and Eve. He shows up again with Abraham and Hagar. Abraham and Hagar, they both received promises from who is called the angel of the Lord. Okay, when you read it, it says the angel of the Lord. But both both of these promises were spoken to them in the first person, from God. And in fact, when Hagar went away from that meeting with God, she said, you are the God who sees me. She gave him one of his many names, uh, El Roy. And so clearly, Abraham and Hagar had been in relationship with the God they could see, okay? And the God who saw them. You see Jacob wrestling with God at Peniel. Remember this story? He comes up lame. It was an actual wrestling match that Jacob had with, with the God who had form, not God the Spirit. And so this was a wrestling match with Christ, the form of the invisible God. And then we have finally, the fourth story is the story of Daniel's three friends. Remember this story? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, they refuse to worship the king, so the king throws them in this fiery furnace. And he throws three of them in, and sometime during that time he goes, hey, didn't we throw three guys in the furnace? And his buddies are like, yeah. Well, why are there four? And when he identifies the fourth, this is what he says about him. He says, he is a son of the gods. This would be Christ. This would be um, the visible form of the invisible God who entered into this furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, most scholars, if you read commentaries, most scholars will agree with this theology and with this doctrine. Uh, K.A. Matthews in the New American Commentary says, Traditionally, Christian interpreters ascribed to the appearance of the angel of the Lord. In other words, they said the angel of the Lord was a Christophany. And that means it's a visible appearance of Christ the visible form of the invisible God, the pre-incarnate, if you will, the pre-human divine Son of God. So you see Christ, the visible image of the invisible God. Paul goes on to say in Colossians 1, He made the things we can see, He made the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities, and the unseen world. Everything was created through Him and for Him. He existed before anything else, and He holds all creation together. He holds all creation together. Together, The next time you think about Jesus as a baby in a manger, remember, this is the Christ, the visible form of the invisible God, and he holds all creation together. 
The writer of Hebrews simply said about Jesus, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So as we come to this Christmas, as we come to this Advent time, what do we believe about Jesus? We believe that he is the eternal word. He has always been a part of the Trinity. He is God's visible revelation of himself at the times when God wanted to reveal himself to mankind. And through submitting to becoming a human, he becomes Emmanuel, God with us. He didn't come into existence when he was born as a baby. He was actually fairly busy before he became a baby. Let's think about some of the things Jesus has done according to God's word. John 1, 1 through 5, in the beginning, the word, Christ, already existed. The word was with God. And the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him, Christ. The word gave life to everything that was created. That was was the work of Christ who gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So Jesus was fairly busy creating the universe. You know, we can only see so far in the universe. Do you know that there are unseen realms that that we have, like, no way of even seeing out there that were created through Christ? The things that were seen, the things that were unseen things, the spiritual realms, you know, rulers and, and... you know, authorities in the spiritual world. Jesus created it all. So before creation, Jesus Christ was a part of the Trinity. And he talked about his relationship with the Father to his disciples. You know, in John 17, when he was praying his high high priestly prayer, this is one of the things he said. He said, Father, I want these whom you've given me to be with me where I am. Now, first, just look at the familiarity he has with the Father. And it's because he had limited himself to being human that he had to pray. That he needed to be in communication with the Father. That he needed to be in sync with the Father. You know, before becoming human, he was perfectly aligned and in unity with the Father. But as a human being, he had to keep himself aligned through prayer, like we do, with his heavenly Father. And he said, then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me when? even before the world began. So Jesus, in eternity past, Christ, the the visible form of the invisible God, for eternity past, has been sharing glory with the Father. Father's been sharing glory with Him, and they've been loving each other. And I believe that it was out of that love within the Trinity that they came up with the idea of having us. You might say we're His love children. Out of the love of the Trinity, this perfect love, comes this idea to create humans in our own image. That we could love them and that they could love us in return. Beautiful. Such a beautiful, beautiful story. So the Bible indicates that there was a plan in eternity past that God would come to us, that he would become one of us, and he would ransom us. He would buy us back from the curse of sin. And that plan came into being through relationship that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have together. 1 Peter 1.20, God chose him, or Christ, as your ransom. Long before the world began, before any of this was even around, God came up with this plan and chose Christ to be our ransom. 
But now in these last days, he's been revealed for your sake. So redemption was being planned long before the world was even created. Paul writes that before his human conception, Christ shared God's glory. And then he emptied himself of that glory when he came down to become one of us. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, there it is again, Christ Jesus, the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself of all the glory that he shared with the Father. Even his eternal characteristics of being, you know, all places at, at all times. Jesus emptied himself of that when he became human. Okay, And he took on, now, human form, was born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, this is now the, the human redeemed Jesus, the Jesus that now, having been raised from the dead, has a glorified body is the firstborn of all mankind in terms of spiritual birth. He's the first one of all of us that has received an eternal glorified body. And we're going to get a body like Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches. Okay, So God now has bestowed on this Jesus, the one with the incorruptible body like we're going to have in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So where is Jesus now? What's he doing now? Anybody know? He's, yeah, sitting at the right hand of the Father, doing what? Interceding for us. Praying for us, coming before the Father and holding us up, his loved ones, holding us up before the throne. That's what Jesus is doing now. And so he's with us. He sent his Holy Spirit to live in us. We still have in us the Spirit of Christ, even though the visible form of God is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. We have the Spirit that he sent to us. So he's with us. It's a simple Christmas. It's about Christmas to me is about the little while that Jesus spent with us. And I love the writer of Hebrews because he talks about this little while, 33 years. That Jesus spent with us. And compared to eternity, how many of you know 33 years is a little while? It's not very long, is it? It's like that. And it's gone. Hebrews 2. I love this. We're going to close with this today. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we're speaking. It's been testified somewhere. What is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while. Lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now that, where it says you made him, it means that he was born human. That's what that means. You made him lower than the angels. Okay? The writer of Hebrews actually is quoting Psalm chapter 8. It didn't have numbers and chapters at the time. So the writer of Hebrews just says it's somewhere in there. Right? Have you ever said that? It's in the Bible somewhere. Well, that's what this guy was saying. It's in the Bible somewhere. Well, it was actually Psalm 8. And this was a hint that the eternal God had dropped into the mind of David about this little while that God 
would be coming to earth and would be submitting himself to a human body. And so to me, a simple Christmas is all about the little while. It's all about the little while. You know, it's not about Black Friday and the best deal I can get. It's not about, you know, even, you know, parties and family celebrations, although those are fun and they're great. It's not about that. Christmas is really about the little while that Jesus spent on this planet that started in a manger and ended in a tomb. And now creation is once again subject to their creator. And that's Jesus. Let me finish this passage. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we don't yet see everything in subjection to him. But we see him who, for a little while, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for us. Isn't that beautiful? The writer makes it clear again that for a little while, God had to be made man. Why? For the purpose of suffering. All that we've suffered, all that we've experienced, that Jesus would enter into that suffering so that he could understand what we need, so that he could understand what he was dying for, so that he could become one of us and actually live out the suffering. But doing it as eternal God in a man's body. It's remarkable. It's an ingenious plan. Really unbelievable, right? That's why it takes faith to believe. So he did that so that we would not have to taste the darkness of spiritual death. He did that for us. We're all going to die physically, but we're not going to die spiritually. Why? Because of Jesus and what he did. He took that upon himself. The curse of sin, the curse of death, curse of the grave, Jesus took that all upon himself. Every disease, every suffering, every disappointment you face, every struggle in life you face, he understands and he enters in because he is with us. So that's the beauty about our Savior. Finally, verse 10, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus' sacrifice was perfected through his suffering because, again, having lived through it and having died through it, he could understand everything about it and could bring his eternal power to bear. Listen, if Jesus was just a man, then his death and resurrection really don't have that much power. Lots of people have given their lives For good causes. Lots of people have died for other people. It's still happening today. What makes Jesus' death and resurrection unique and powerful is that he brought his eternal power to bear on our sin, on the cross. That's what makes it powerful. It's the fact that he was eternal God, subjected to a human body, and gave up his life on the cross. That's what makes redemption possible. It's that he was God, okay? So we need to remember that when we think about and celebrate this little baby that we all love to, and I'm all for it. But remember that this baby also is eternal, all-powerful God. Now what happened through the resurrection of Christ is that he received, like I mentioned earlier, a, a brand new body, glorified, a glorified body that he ascended into heaven with. And so now he has the same kind of body 
that we're going to have. And that's why he's called the firstborn of all creation. It's the firstborn into uh, eternal glorified body. That at the end of time, we're all going to receive one of those. It's the kind of body that can endure eternity. You're not going to need new knees you know, a couple million years in. No new hips. No new nothing. No facelifts or other lifts. No sagging. No leaking. I mean, it's just going to be wonderful, right? So eternal body. Most beautiful thing about the eternal body is that it, it will stand up under the holiness of God. We'll be able to be face to face with our creator. We'll be able to worship him because we will have the body that he designed for eternity. It's going to be wonderful. So tonight what we want to do is we want to remember this Jesus. We want to remember this Jesus, the accurate Jesus, the biblical Jesus. Not the Jesus that somehow began his life as a baby. No, the Jesus that has always been and subjected his life to the life of a human. So we're going to do that tonight with communion. So I'd love the band to come on up and they're going to lead us through communion tonight. And here's what I want you to do. With this in mind, when you hold the bread and when you hold the cup tonight, I want you to be thinking the eternal Christ. This is the eternal Christ. Not just the man. This is the eternal Christ that I celebrate tonight. That is the God who came to be with us. Let's bring it back to simplicity. Let's bring it back to what it is tonight, okay? So you know the drill. Come on up, get your bread. There's some in the back as well. Get your juice and take it back to your seat. We'll receive it together.